<laughs> You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. So no Kool-Aid. We haven't, yeah, no, we weren't. No. Because we're uh, more of like a tang cult. But but, but we've been recording and Uh, we've been talking about (laughs) Andrew's uh, cult-like upbringing, but we're Books and Beer. Welcome to Books and Beer. (laughs) And um, this is actually part two of our cyberpunk uh, episode, and, and... there's more cyberpunk to come in like two years. When, yeah. Whenever we're fucking done, we're we're done with cyberpunk because for <laughs> a while we're bloated. Like we read so much fucking cyberpunk yeah. and we watched it and we read it and watched it and read and watched it. Anyways, um, we're books and beer. We're books and beer. We read books. We talk about them and we drink beer. This is a little different than normal because we're at a. Uh, you should read the first. There, you should listen to the first half. Uh, we're on the second half of Cyberpunk. We went over Proto, which is the beginnings of Cyberpunk or before Cyberpunk, if you will. And now we're getting into some miscellaneous, all kinds of uh, Cyberpunk that we went over this month. And um, yeah, do, oh, we got to so we got to talk about who we are. I'm Zach Chapman. I write science fiction, fantasy. Horror. My fiction has appeared in Rise of the Future, uh, Nature, Tales to Terrify. Andrew? Uh, I'm Andrew Hilbert. I uh, do a, a serialized story called Deer Man on DeerManBegins.com. Also the author of a couple books, Invasion of the Weirdos being the latest one. Um, yeah, I'm also two megabytes tall. <laughs> <laughs> also, he sells rad Deer Man shirts. Oh, yeah. The Deer Man shirts pay more than the writing. It's <laughs> fucking tight, dude. That's yeah. a sick shirt. That's a pretty sick shirt. I right. just wish it came with Fat Man sizes. Uh, fat, I'm going to talk a spreadsheet about that. Yeah. We're, we're the, the, the third host is Miguel. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, I am just kind of a, a bit of a researcher. I read kind of everything. Horror is my main aspect, but I am learning so much. Uh, I've come to find out that I'm a cyberpunk fan. Oh, from this fuck, podcast, dude. So I'm excited. Dude, cyberpunk sucks. Dude, what the fuck are you talking about? The, the epitome of cyberpunk is what we're going to talk about soon, right? The epitome. Okay, so the epitome of cyberpunk actually it's actually brand new. I don't know if you guys heard of this. Brand new, dude. But it's this book. This book called Ready Player uh, Player One by Ernie Klein. Lives in Austin. He, yeah, he's an Austinite. He's a he's a great human being. He makes great literature. We all read every. All of us read this book, and we read it really recently, and we love it. And uh, we we really love the pornographic tastes of Ernest Cline. Yeah. So right now, um, because we love it, we're uh, normally at this point we drink a beer, but this is part two, and uh, since we're going over Ready Player One, we're actually going to uh, drink some um, Writer's Tears. Um, and it's a shot of whiskey, actually, because um, how much we love this. Bruce. Salute. <laughs> All right, now a little bit for Miguel here. Oh, he, oh Miguel had tequila. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, what do I you hate think, that. man? Hey, that's expensive as fuck whiskey, too. That Writer's Tears was, was good. It went down swell. Almost as swell. <laughs> so it might have been uh, being a little facetious, if you will. I uh, just wanted to point it out that they had really good vodka. No, no, whiskey. Dude. Whiskey. I'm sorry, whiskey. And I had Thank shit you. tequila. <laughs> Which, uh, time out, time out, time out. Tinge Miguel, of Miguel, uh, Miguel. racism. Miguel, 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 Miguel. Jose Cuervo, traditional. Uh, Limited production. Echo in Mexico. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. With no lime or salt either. We'll do that next time for you. For, on, all, on all your beers, right? <laughs> well, I mean, Zach had the lime and salt out, but he was like, you know, I don't know. I don't want, I don't want to make any assumptions. <laughs> I don't want to sound racist. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh,. Ready Player One. Are you are, are you ready? Are you players? ready player? All right. So, what's the premise? Second player is uh, well. The premise is this oasis kind of cyberspace thing, right? Where oh, cyberspace. No, I mean, yeah, the whole world is 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 basically a wasteland of trailers stacked on top of each other. Oh, dude, that's tight. Is that dope or what, dude? Oh, dude, trailers try. Yeah, that's sick. Let me just tell you something about Ready Player One, though. This is something. I, this is my pet peeve about everything. Everything. I think referential humor is so lazy. But referential humor is preferable to a referential novel, which which requires no work on part of the writer. It only requires work on part of the reader to understand anything that's going on. It's like, oh yeah, remember that time about the, the DeLorean thing? Yeah, that requires the reader to do all the work. Good writing does not require the reader to do all the work. Most of the heavy lifting comes from the fucking writer, but if all you're doing is dropping... References to fucking 80s movies and video games. What is that? Yo, what I, is it? I was I was born in 90s, so uh, I was going to say, maybe maybe this book ain't for me, but this is probably, well, by far of the stuff that we've read, and I haven't read this recently, but this is by far my least favorite of the cyberpunk. And, I mean, yeah, it's cyberpunk because it's trailers stacked on top of trailers and they are in cyberspace but yeah so the 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 conceit is that they're in oasis and they live in a culture i'm not sure what time period is but it's a time period that masturbates till their dick is bleeding to the 80s and how else are you supposed to masturbate i'm not i (laughs) oh this is awkward okay i'm sorry wait wait wait. are you talking to the 80s or till your dick's bleeding yes what? Nor- normally is bloody big. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's... Even if you grew up in the 80s, which a couple of you guys did... Okay, well... You, you gotta get no, into no, it. Man. I'm, I'm still... Believe it or not, Zach. Okay? I'm still too young for this novel's target demographic. Which is baffling, because I worked at Book People. Okay? Yeah? And this novel was sectioned in three different sections. It was sectioned in YA... Young adult, teen literature. It was sectioned in general fiction, which, I mean, is pretty fucking cockamamie if you ask me. <laughs> it does not belong there. Yeah, and it was also sectioned in sci-fi. And I know that sci-fi people and literary people kind of fight over things, but like, I think we can all agree on this, is that Ready Player One well, is not literary. <laughs> not literary in any way. No, no, no. no. It's no stars by destination, all right? No. We're going to talk about this book later. Snow Crash, which is basically it apes it, it pretty badly. By, by 90, it was written in 91, I want to say. Yeah, and look, 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 I'm not a huge fan of Snow Crash, but Snow Crash is like the fucking Magna Carta, you know, in terms of literature compared yeah. to this book. I think the problem with this book, 
mainly is that it focuses so much on references as part of its storyline that it's not really even a story. Um, it requires that the reader know a whole lot outside the book, uh, which gives the writer an excuse to be totally lazy. So any emotion felt within Back to the Future, which is book references, uh, is all the work of Back to the Future. It's none of the work of Ernest Klein. I mean, honestly, I've only listened to a couple interviews with him, and everything that I gathered from the way he acts is just that he wrote a science fiction book having read no science fiction before in his life. That's what it feels like to me. What I get, the sense I get from Ernest Klein is that there is... There, there's a group of, there's a lot of people who do, who are like this. Can I? Yeah, you want some of my water, dude? Take some of my water, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing that, because I'm such a germaphobe. Are you? Know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Zach just birdie sipped my, my water, which is perfect, because otherwise I would have, like, left it there. <laughs> um, my back but, 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 but there's this whole group of folks that, like, yeah, there's a sci-fi aesthetic, there's a sci-fi thing. But it's also so ingrained in the 80s TV culture and movie culture that um, you might be able to get away with, with doing sci-fi without ever having read any sci-fi. I don't know that Ernest Klein has never read sci-fi. I just don't think he's a great writer. Do you know what I mean? Like, look, he you, doesn't know how to pace. I, I know that technically he can't really pace anything. He, he has no character development. He's not really good with imagery. He's not really good with dialogue. All of these things that you develop as a writer, he's just like, well, I'll reference some cool shit. Right, the references, see, that's just like sticks it's, in it's, my It's crop. just the only thing. Like, the, there are plot... I, I get it. So I, I, I love Star Wars, right? And and I Nerd. get that people, people hate on uh, Force Awakens because there's a lot of referential shit. However, this book... There are plot points. There are points, like, to get from point A to point B, it's referential. Like, you gotta understand 80s fucking Dungeons and Dragons book, you know, five page one. Like, you gotta... Did you read that? Which is it's weak. Like, yeah, no, weak it's so as fucking far. weak. Like, and look, there's people out there, and I, you know, I've, I've gotten to this... Okay, I've gotten to many arguments about things people universally love. Some people think... Oh, it's just a real quick, fun read. Sure. To me, it's it's offensive. Dude. <laughs> it's offensive. Because this book's more than twice as long as any of the books that we read for... It's long as fuck. But it's also just so offensive at how lazy the writing is. And people who are reading it just to read it, they may not be as offended. But there are people who I know that are writers who read it and liked it. And there's people who say, oh, this was written for people like me who have experienced all these things. It's like... Then what's the point of writing a fucking book? Why don't you guys get on a message board and talk about, remember when the teddy bears had the rainbow come out of their belly and save the world? I remember, love Care Bears! Yeah, remember when Christopher Lloyd was fucking relevant? <laughs> you know, it's just like, dude, get over it. Write, write a scene. Don't, don't make a scene rely on somebody else's hard work. Because even if it was the references, that they're, what they're referencing required labor. And to say, like, oh, it's like that time when, that requires no labor whatsoever. All the labor is put on the reader, which yeah. is bad writing. 
And how he, how he gets away with it is just, like, it's this... It's the cyberspace world where everything is 80s culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every, literally, like, their avatars, their vehicles, their yeah. everything is just 80s culture. But, you know, you know uh, Ernie Klein is making a lot of money right now. <laughs> Steven Spielberg-level money. Yeah. And we're in here recording a podcast for free. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to point out that I was told by both people to not read this book. So I haven't read this book, but I will – I'm going to attempt it. But I forget who sent me a paragraph of some of the writing in this book and I was so angry reading it that I, I didn't even want to – I didn't want to try. It's triggering. I mean it's bad. It's yeah. bad. Stuff. It kind of reminds me – and I think one of you guys brought it up, that old uh, Saturday Night Live uh, Chris sketch. Chris Farley's sketch. Chris Farley's yeah. <laughs> sketch. When he's uh, interviewing a celebrity, he was like, remember when you did that one thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Paul Hardy's like, yeah, yeah, I, I wrote that song. And Chris Farley's like, yeah, that was cool, huh? That was cool. <laughs> like, yeah, no shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, so essentially that in book form. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. totally that. It's just like, and, hey, you remember this reference? Dude is tight. Dude, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Can you build a conference? Can you build a friendship of references? I guess you could, but can you can you ask someone to pay 16 bucks for a 300-page book to read nothing but references that you likely do not get? It should just be called Remember When. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's theft. It's totally theft. And I'm getting real passionate about it, but I think it's theft. It's terrible. Enjoy your check, which, Yo, is, <laughs> which, I, which is why I don't feel bad, because you're making a lot of money. But it's what great. about his poetry, though? <laughs> oh, man. What Ernest Klein, he's a poet, though. He's, he's actually published some poetry online that's, that you can read for free. Yeah. Well, you can... Is it publishing when you put it online? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Well, there's... I've got, like, my, my, my heart is torn here in a lot of He's ways. literally ripping you know, his shirt off, guys. He's yeah. tearing me apart, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> tearing me apart, Lisa. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi. <laughs> um, that, was a, that was a bit of referential humor, guys. <laughs> if, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're stupid, okay? <laughs> Go watch the rumor disaster. <laughs> You know, he published poetry online. Yes. He's a nerd. He worked at Vulcan. There's a lot of things like, oh, hometown. He worked at Vulcan? He did, yeah. Oh, shit. I think he wrote a book called Destroy All Movies. Okay. Which is a lot like the uh, horror paperbacks book by Grady Hendrix. Uh He said, Grady Hendrix can write an original (laughs) storyline. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, uh, so he's he's kind of a hometown guy made good, sure, in a lot of ways. In terms of poetry... I don't really read poetry anymore. I used to, but like, dude, that's I, level one writing. Just snaps. <laughs> dude, like, yeah, yeah, well, dude, okay. It's the funny thing is, you go to poetry readings and people do snap yeah. instead of clap, and it is just the most infuriating. <laughs> is that, is that, yeah, yeah. It's like this is just as destructive <laughs> as this. You know? It's uh, the exact same decibel level. You know? um, I've seen so, deaf poetry jam. You you have deaf poetry Good. jam, yeah, but. But, but but Ernie Klein was okay. So, so those poems that, that I sent you as a joke uh, to laugh at, be like, "Oh, look, he self-published his poetry." It's not even self-published. Yo, I is it referential lost, or lost some respect for that editor? <laughs> Someone fucking read that and was like, "Yeah, Dude. let's go." Let's publish it. Yeah, your first mistake would be someone fucking read that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably like, "Oh, Ready Player One got." Published by Bantam Books. Is that what he was published by? By Bantam Books? It's probably going to get picked up by Steven Spielberg's company, DreamWorks SKG. Uh, sweet. Let's run it. Let's run these, po- let's run these poems. Let's run these little, little shitters. All right. 
let's wrap in because um, it's it's got a very similar conceit. Uh, let's go on to Snow Crash. Let's, kinda, let's try to keep it brief. I like Snow Crash all right. I think it has one of the greatest opening scenes. So a batshit crazy opening scene where there's like this pizza guy who, if he doesn't deliver his pizza, like within like a certain time limit, he'll maybe be murdered. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's it's a batshit crazy cyberpunk novel with uh, a very similar cyberspace where there's like a, a the Matrix style uh, cyberspace or internet thing, and this was written in like. Maybe ninety or ninety one. It was. I think it was written. Yeah, it was published in ninety two. Pretty sure ninety two. Okay. So uh, and Ready Player One rips off a lot of what's going on in this book. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think Neil Stevenson like he just masturbates to linguistics a little too much. This book is super 90s. It's so radical yeah. and tubular. People are fucking skateboarding and rollerblading yeah. and delivering pizza, okay? And I think this book is is like the literary equivalent of a Gushers candy bar. I mean, a Gushers, uh, a Gushers bag of candy. Nice. Right? I get that reference. You, you, you get it? You're an old man, dude. Um, no, I get it. I've seen commercials before. Oh, seen I, I haven't seen commercials in like 10 years, yeah. but I've seen them before. Gushers are still pretty bomb. Imagine the candy that comes in your mouth. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, that's I, nice. I dig on that. <laughs> that. That's why we're having all these problems. Because we were raised on gushers they come in your mouth <laughs> it's um definitely ups and downs pacing wise it's yeah. not as tight as either of the books that we talk about in proto yeah uh but it's way better than ready player one highly i mean <laughs> i don't highly recommend it but if you're interested in ready player one read this book first then if you love this book, then maybe get into Ready Player Don't Don't read Ready Player One. Wait, don't read it. Here's what I'm going to say. If you have $17 burning holes in your pockets, and you have a decision to do Ready Player One or literally any other book, go to Snow Crash, because you've got the better, meatier version of Ready Player One, which is, Snow Crash is actually a little bit self-aware of itself. Um, satire. Right, it, That's yeah, the word yeah. I was. It's, satir- it's satirical. I'm a head. Yeah, it, it's a little bit satirical of the whole cyberpunk genre, but also pays its dues to it in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, it, it's okay. So when I first read it, I didn't like it. I read Ready Player One, and then I reread it very quickly. I skimmed through it this time, and I appreciated it a whole hell of a lot more, knowing that Ready Player One is going to have a movie out of it, and Snow Crash has been optioned for movies over and over again and never got it, which, to me, would be the superior movie, and it is the superior book. It's, but- it's very similar, no, but without the references and like amped-up satire, the main character is named... Hero protagonist. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like... And it's... You got diversity. He's like... Uh, I believe he's half Asian, half black. So it's... it's uh, Blasian is what we call oh, it. Oh, okay. okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Color commentary from Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by color commentary? We meant my Oh, shit. <laughs> Edit that out. We meant we gave you the Jose Cuervo. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no salt or lime because we don't want to make any assumptions. <laughs> God damn it. 
All right, let's talk about some shit that's like we actually enjoyed. Okay, well, let's go to the next. Whoa, 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 whoa. Real quick, yeah, I didn't read it because I was told not to. Yeah, don't read that. Either. Rat things. What the hell are rat things? Because I read about it. Oh, and I'm really interested because okay. it sounds like rodents of unusual. From uh, Princess Bride, was it called rodents of unusual uh, size? Size. Okay, so actually, that is my favorite moment. In, is it? Are you talking about Snow Crash? Yeah. Okay, so I don't remember if they were rats or if they were dogs. It says they're rat things, which are cybernetic. They're rat-like dogs. Yes, rat-like dogs. So they're rat-like dogs, right? So um, aside from the very beginning where he's trying to deliver this pizza on time and it's like, uh, it's it's when you're reading it, it's like watching a movie. This other part, it's written from a dog's perspective and it's this um, genetically modified dog rat hybrid thing that has loyalty to humans and it's from its perspective and it has this very bizarre uh literary writing style almost Mm -hmm. like flowers for algernon and that you can tell that it's like not an intelligent entity but it's like human good human like yeah Yeah. it do this for human that that's actually i i thought that was a really phenomenal scene it's pretty heart touching for me have you um after life with archie do you remember that part of it? Which, which part? Um, so if, if uh, well, I know you don't read too many comics, but Afterlife with Archie. Phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Written. Wait, is Archie Archie Archie? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Archie it's, comics. It, it's a um, basically a, a universe in which art, the Archie universe has gone through a zombie apocalypse, right? So I'm not going to get too much into it. But there's one um, issue in which it's written in the dog's perspective, and it's it's heartbreaking. Is it, is it um, Jughead's dog? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Jughead's dog is what kicks it off. It's Archie's dog. Um, I, I don't remember his name, but but anyway, it just reminded me when you were saying about the rat things, it, it was, yeah, so. Yeah, it's a similar, definitely similar premise. Um, there's also, speaking, okay, we're going to go on a little dog tangent I think better than that is Pizza Dog on uh, Matt Fraction, David Aya on uh, Hawkeye Hawkeye. 2014. Mm. It's amazing. Like, it's all written. There's no dialogue at all throughout the whole issue. And it's all written from the dog's perspective. It's almost like he's like this PI, like, investigating, like, what's going on. Uh, and he does use symbols to communicate. Like kind of like hieroglyphics. Like, yeah, 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 like dingbats. Yeah. He uses dingbats to like explain what's going on. Um, really great issue. Uh, so um, you've joined the dog hour? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Dude, I don't, have, you, have you been to Dogs Bite? The, oh. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. We'll, we'll, bleep that out. Wait, you, you can bark that out. We'll bark that out. Dot Speaking of dogs, okay, sorry. The Futurama dog episode where... Oh. Wait, so I, yeah, I, I, I was to go there? I was never a dog person, you know what I mean? That scene always touched me in a weird way, but now it touches me it's because even you have, lower. Is Comrade your first dog? Comrade is my first dog, yeah. Oh, Holy fuck, wow. dude. And, and there's a connection that you, you get you with the dog. Yeah, it's yeah. like... It's, 
I'm not gonna get it. But what's why, why the fuck is your is my dog sitting under you? That's yeah, what I I'm like because I just attract dogs. <laughs> I, I they never wipe my ass. Yeah. Yeah. I love that sniffing that. What's ass. the point of wiping if you're just gonna poop later? <laughs> yeah. So wasabi uh, was my first dog, and yeah. I recently put him down, and it was terrible. So, well, so when I look forward to, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw that episode, though, like I can't. I don't uh, think I can watch it again. Yeah. Uh, Dude, oh. there, there are some Futurama episodes that I mean. There's a couple Simpsons episodes, but the Futurama episodes are just. Yeah. I, I, like the brother. Actually, Futurama's Simpsons is down. Uh, I mean, if you could see without here. the Simpsons, uh, there is no Futurama, exactly, bro. Bang it. <laughs> um, are we gonna move on? To the All right. Well, yeah. Let's move on to something that we liked. Kieran. Away from what? Oh, Kira. Oh, I thought you said Akira. All right, let's. Oh, oh yeah. Akira. Let's actually talk about. We didn't actually like Akira, right? Yeah, nah. <laughs> let's move on to something that we did like. Let's talk about Pat Cadigan. Pat Cadigan patterns. You know, uh, I'd never heard of Pat Cadigan at all, ever in my entire life. If you're old like me, and Miguel, you might remember the skit called uh, "It's Pat" on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you just reference something? Uh, oh, from yeah, Tom reference. I reference it. All the work is, is on you now. Um, so, anyways, Pat Cadigan. I never heard of her before. You're like, is this a guy or is this a girl? It's it is a. It's Pat. It is a female. No, I know based off the <laughs> funky. I, I know. I just want you guys to see. So here, here's the thing about Pat Cadigan. When it comes to cyber cyberpunk, is that the stories we read were, were, were cyberpunk ish. Dude, the stories that we read were like. Magical realism with with '80s culture, right? So, so with '80s technological, but, but there culture. aren't any really good short stories that happened with that really fit nicely. This I, time, which is why I would like to when we revisit it in a couple years. Yeah, I would like to read one of her novels because those sound way more cyberpunk. But I, there are aspects of it that are super for cyberpunk. sure. And I, she was rap, she was bundled in William Gibson. Bruce Sterling, all of these, um, Effinger, all of these authors that were given the uh, cyberpunk title, but yeah. oh, they're a cyberpunk author. She was wrapped in with them, and maybe what, like when they were trying to define exactly what cyberpunk was, and and this this goes back to our earlier conversation is what is cyberpunk at the time? She was talking about relevant issues. In the 80s, and she was giving a magical realism slant or a technological realism slant. Yeah. All of her stuff feels very real. It feels yeah. very, like, very yeah. down to earth. Grounded. Very grounded. Very, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's also issues of, um, I mean, there's still the anti-authoritarianism bent. There are also, I mean, here's the funny thing. is like, the cyberpunk is super action-oriented. Very, no action. Right, there's no action here, well, but there's also comments on machismo. Yeah, let's, in a lot of ways. This is the only female author right. we're talking about. Let's kind of talk about patterns. What's the conceit? It's like kind of hard to define. Yeah, it's you about the, the book or specifically the short story? The short, short story, story. Yeah. It is hard to define. Um, basically, this person is looking at their TV of the president speaking and talking about the. It's now this is totally like not even at all relevant, but the patterns of the analog TV where dots, yeah, the dots mm-hmm. represent yeah. a color and it becomes the president's face pre pixels, so, right? Yeah, pre pixels, and it's just kind of like it, it, it's a little bit hard to read so far detached from that era. But, 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 but this person is 
imagining themselves killing the president. Almost have it as if it's a video game. Yeah. To me, I, that's how I, I, I took away almost that it was like this VR. Yeah. But if you if you try to say, oh, well, I'm going to be grounded, well, then, it, then it's just this person. It's a story of a person obsessing over... Uh, killing the president, mm-hmm. but then maybe if you read a little into it, maybe is it VR? Yeah. If it's cyberpunk, maybe it is. So because the way it's written is yeah. just so like magical realism, and that there's no all these other books that we've read use a lot of imagery and they they define um, the world, they world build. Yeah. Here it just gives it to you. Yeah. And yeah. it just gives you ideas, and it gives you beautiful descriptions. But it doesn't world build. It lets the reader just kind of images come to their mind. Yeah. So it's uh, so uh, along with what you're saying, it's because she doesn't need a world build because she's putting you in current. Well, yeah. Back then when she was writing, this is the current time. Yeah. And it struck me so close to heart because you know, growing up, you know, born in '82, growing up watching Saturday night, Saturday morning cartoons, you know, being as close to the television as you possibly can, and your mom telling you to back up because you're gonna you're ruin, ruin your eyesight. And I'm wearing uh, Coke bottle glasses right now, yeah. so thank you, mom. But I didn't listen. Um, <laughs> You, I remember being so close that you can see yeah. the dots in the screen and yeah. all that. So it, this was so hit so close to home that, that yeah. I, I love this story, and I, I love the realism in it. The, the close, it, this was the most realistic that we got, and uh, I really enjoyed her writing. Yeah, uh, and in our current political climate, this was. Like therapy for me. Yeah, yeah. this is wish fulfillment. Yeah, but, but but there's also the whole thing is like, I think she's commenting on this. And this is gonna sound really fucking lame, guys. Just but bear with me here. And the detached nature of interconnectedness. We can be connected to the president, right? And no, in television, this was before the internet. Television was the way to be interconnected. To something happening all the way across the globe, all the way across the globe. But uh, you know. When she goes to go kill the president, in quotes, there's a very detached feeling that happens. There's no feeling about uh, society at all. Everything keeps moving on. No one even notices this happened. Right. Uh, It's almost like an isolating thing to be able to see everything happening at once. And it seems more... It seems more relevant now that we have the internet, that we're actually seeing everything and everybody's individual thoughts... At once, rather than just images. I do want to talk about the second story that you sent me to read. Yeah. What was it called again? The Martells Get Cable. The Martells like Get Cable. All right, so... Or Get the Cable. The, get the Cable. This this one is still, to me, still magical realism. However, it's a bit more defined. There is much more of a plot going on. And it's this couple and... You know, they're all cheeky and they're acting like they love each other so much. And then one of them, it's the morning and one of them, the the woman who makes more money, who, you know, my wife used to make more money than me. And so I know my wife currently makes more money than me. No, I and it makes sense. Women are more educated. So generally, and this is very forward thinking. Uh, I'm going to say that a lot in sci-fi episodes, I think. (laughs) But uh but yeah, so she, so uh, the husband or 
boyfriend? I think it was husband. Husband. Was husband. The husband the stayed. Yeah, Martel. Yeah, right. So he's staying at home to get the cable plugged in. He's got to wait so he can let the cable guy come in, right? Yeah. And so she leaves to work. You know, the the cable guy shows up, and it's actually a woman. Yeah. And he's just thinking, like, oh, you know, whoa. You need some pliers? (laughs) Yeah, like, are you allowed to be here? Yeah. Where's the rest of the crew? What if some funny business happens? Yeah, where's the rest of the crew? Yeah. So it's like, all right, so this is some pretty good, I, I like, I'm digging, like, this, this subversiveness in the 80s, you know, the woman making more money, the the woman, uh, you know, the, the male is not in any kind of power. He's he's eating a sandwich and making, like, making a mess, yeah. right? And uh, and then, so she tells him, like, after she set up the, uh, the, the cable, she's like, all right, go ahead, put your hand on the TV. And it zaps him, and then she's all like, all right. Uh, turn it. She she flicks to channel one and it starts moving him around. She flicks to channel two and it does another thing and she's basically controlling him. And I was like, "Yo, this shit is garbage." This is. I, I was like, I went. I was like, I was digging this and it's all like. Then it's like, oh well, this is just this. How uh, you know cable controls the way people feel, right? I was like, oh, I was like, man, fuck this stupid commentary. I'm like, oh, you know, cable's bad. It controls the way people are. It, it controls humans. And then she calls the wife and she's all like, she's all like, she, the wife is totally in on it. Yeah. She's all like, all right, can you just get him to do, like clean up his mess? Cause he probably ate a bunch of food. Yeah. And he's like making a mess. And then can you make him vacuum? And I was like, Oh no, this shit's awesome. Like, yeah. Make sure he took the chicken out yeah, for make dinner. Sure, make sure he yeah. like, he does like, so shit. Hillary and I literally got in a fight this morning about cleaning the house. Did you leave the chicken out? <laughs> <laughs> My wife, Hillary and I, like, we're still mad at each other right now. Really? We haven't made up yet. And I'm reading this story while she's mad at me about uh, a wife who gets like is able to basically has a remote control and is able to tell her husband what to do. And I'm like, fuck this story. Yeah, no, no, it's badass. Dude. But it's I a great, it, it's a great, it, it's, it's a, a great, great ending. Last weekend, I literally did nothing <laughs> but read for this episode, right? Yeah, and didn't do any chores or anything. Got into got into a tiff, a lover's quarrel, a squabble. Yeah, uh, about about chores. And reading the story, I actually read the story. You know, I read the story a couple days ago. I felt a little guilty. Yeah, you know, this is like the eternal struggle. <laughs> All right, but I just I love this story. It, it was uh, so prescient the, the day I read it. It was like it would get into a huge fight with my wife. So. Yeah, I really enjoy this book, and I, I really like her writing. And I, I don't want. I encourage you guys. Our two or three listeners to look into her and, and read some more of her writing because I know I will. Pat yeah. Cadigan. Pat Cadigan. And I would like to revisit her uh, novels because these don't actually I mean they're cyberpunk and women. I think they're more like magical, technological realism of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Than cyberpunk. But uh, she gets looped into the cyberpunk movement. Um, it's just refreshing to have a, just a, a different perspective. Perspective yeah. on it. Yeah. Akina. Oh, we didn't even talk about what beer we're drinking. Oh, we're drinking a Kirin Ichiban. Kirin Ichiban. Well, this this is the beer that we're going to be drinking for Akira when we go into that segment. Okay. Fucking not Akira. Fucking Neuromancer. Sorry. We can say that. It's Kirin Ichiban. Yes. Brewed for good times. Kirin's prime beer brew. Uh, 100% malt beer. I feel like I'm in a 90s 
rap video. Yeah. Right now, but it's really good. It's a I mean, it's a good beer. This is like my favorite beer to drink at home is Modelo Special. I nice. do. And Santa, I like I drink a lot of Modelo. Dude. Yeah, and I, I think it's my favorite beer. There's this craft movement, sure, fine, whatever, dude. But solid, cheap. Yeah, good. I don't want to spend twelve bucks on a six pack. Do you put time. salt on it? No, I just drink it put lime on it. I don't do any of that shit, dude. Okay. Well, I that's, think Miguel does. That's rabbit. That's rabbit food. <laughs> I was just sitting here not bothering anybody uh, and racism hits me in the face. <laughs> so you drink a lot of Modelo. What do you drink? What do you drink a lot of this? Uh, dude, since I came to Austin, I've been drinking cider. Austin uh, East Ciders. East Ciders. It's yeah. totally taken me over and I, I can't help it. You got my wife turned on to that. Really? She loves it. Yeah. Yeah. I got your wife turned on? <laughs> hey, guys. Don't. I don't want I'm, this is already going to be a shitty edit job. Yeah. Now you're talking about turning on my wife. Sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Guys, guys. Stop jacking off. Let's jack into this conversation. No, no. Let's jack in. All right. I, I, what you drink? East Siders, but I also drink a lot of Hefeweizens. So UFO. I'm digging. Dig. Digs. Dude, Live Oak Hefeweizen. Live Oak. Oh, my God. Come on. Man. You got to go local. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been really into local beers. Do you do sours? Uh, we, we did that sour for the first episode. I wasn't yeah, digging it. Remember? I wasn't uh, digging it. Sour Winch. Sour Winch. Yeah. It, it wasn't for me. Maybe I'll try another. I'll definitely try another one. But we'll do another. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Akira. Akira. Tetsuo. Tetsuo. Akira. So okay, can we just get this out of the way? Is, does anyone have an anime background here? No, but um, we. I just want, we we saw the movie. Not we didn't read the manga. We didn't read the manga. Yeah. Okay, so manga. I will manga. say a couple things. I really like Studio Ghibli. I have their box set. Um, I almost consider that Disney at this point. I don't really consider it manga well, or anime. Well, and, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm sure none of us have gone to define anime in any way. But for me, personally, anime is incomprehensible. <laughs> There's storylines that are made up of a lot of screaming, you know? Yeah. I mean, I grew, I grew up on um, Dragon Ball Z, so I, I get I never that. got into it. I never Me got neither. into Pokemon. I never got into nope. Dragon Ball Z. I, yeah, I got into Pokemon. I I, when I first Ball met Zach, I was like, this guy wears Dragon Ball Z shirts. Those shirts with, like, the flames yeah. coming out of the bottom. Yeah, like, what? Yeah. I don't wear that shit. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just thinking. Dude, you're, they're going to get a thing. You can't see me. They don't, they don't have a good idea. He's literally right. wearing one right now, guys. Sorry, I'm wearing a shirt that he gave me. It's a fellow K-Dick shirt. <laughs> I, K-Dick. Fuck! <laughs> don't give him the wrong idea. <laughs> I said when I first met you, that's what I thought you were. Yeah. So you thought I was a complete... Douchebag. Like, no, no, God damn it. <laughs> No, I have no background in uh, anime other than, do you remember, that I was talking to Zach about this earlier, the old Street Fighter oh, yeah. anime? Fuck yeah, dude. And I love that, but I was like you know, eight or nine or ten at the time. That's and different. I, I couldn't search it down, and I couldn't, yeah. you know, I didn't, so I saw that once, and then and then also the Animatrix is what I saw. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's uh, American. Yeah, yeah, so, so that's, that's, that's all I have. And I've seen one, Studio Ghibli, or whatever it's called. Movie and I can't remember what it was. Well, and those are, di- I think those are a little bit different. Yeah. But I, uh, <laughs> my first year of college, I, uh, I took Japanese. Right? <laughs> and I was, the- you were one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. The mo- right. But I was the only white guy in there that didn't like have 
one of the, one of those t-shirts that had the flames on it, <laughs> yes. or like didn't have like a fedora, you know, did what was it like, but carrying around a wooden stick, <laughs> pretending it was a samurai sword, and I should have failed that fucking class, dude. I should have failed it, but I think the teacher, the sensei. Uh, <laughs> so by the way, what's <laughs> Ashiwa Hirubatu san? Uh, oh shit! Yeah, the, the sensei Whoa, was like uh, the sensei was was uh, okay. This guy he was really terrible at Japanese, but he's not a weeaboo. And he seems, yeah, he seems to have some respect from the culture beyond these animated cartoons. I'm going to give him a C minus instead of a D minus. I'm going to give him a pass. No, Just because I, he's not a fucking anime kid. I cannot believe I passed that class. That was terrible. But I can ask you what time it is. Nunji Deska. Uh, it is 6.39. Thank you. Domo <laughs> uh, All right, so... Uh, this story it definitely starts out cyberpunk. It's Neo Tokyo. It's after Atomic Blast. Um, Akita is, you know, there's some biker gangs going on. There's some. Um, uh, the, the only thing that I feel like this is missing is like AIs and corporations. For whatever reason, maybe the Japanese. Um, had a different view on, on corporations versus government. Maybe they had, like, a bigger fear of their own government than they had of um, corporations. Cause the American sense of, of uh, cyberpunk was, the, like, this big fear of corporations, that they would rule everything. And here it's, you know, the, the government has, has made these tests and basically created, like, this uh, telekinetic superhero race thing yeah. from... Akita, whatever that human slash god slash energy slash being is. Well, but I think the AI aspect of it is, I don't know, um, the uh, Akita, uh, his, uh, where it has a cranial nerve and stuff like that at the very end, there's also like, a computer chip on it, within it. I didn't see that. Uh, yeah. So was he uh, cyber... Slash human. Was know. he human? Was he right. an AI? Okay, yeah. I hear that. Yeah. No, so, no, no. And, and yeah, I definitely caught that. I forgot about that. Yeah. I caught that that second time that I watched it. Because it does turn into much more of an anime yeah. kind of fight at the end Towards where the end. It, yeah. it loses a lot of the cyberpunk for me. And, and it kind of goes into what we were talking about, like body horror, like David Lynchian. Yeah. Body horror. We're going to hit that up two episodes yeah. from now. Yeah. We're going to hit up body horror. Okay. But yeah, no, we can talk about that here because we covered it. Yeah. I I think that the whole... I, I think the, the, the movie is beautiful. The animation Absolutely is beautiful. stunning. Yeah. It was, the, I stylistically, mean, 10 out of 10. Right? Story is... Oh, we turned it up slightly incomprehensible. Yeah. Right? The, 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 yeah, it feels like there are main characters that are killed off screen. Yeah, and it feels like uh, Miguel, you were talking about this, where it feels like well, there was so much of the manga that they just couldn't fit into like to a two-hour movie. Well, and the movie certainly felt long. It, it was felt really at the end. It felt long. Yeah, it's, it felt they chose to pick the they picked the wrong things to focus on. Well, see, in, in coming from my background of horror. I've seen this with Asian horror where they don't give a fuck about what when you, what you expect. They have a story that yeah. they want to tell and they don't care how long it's going to go. <laughs> They're going to tell it and sit down and shut the fuck up. 
Um, so it definitely felt like the pacing is so slow. It's different. It, 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 towards the end, especially, yeah. where our our Western minds are like, this should have ended 20 yeah. minutes ago, guys. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. There's more of this There's story. There's character development after <laughs> the characters have died. Yeah. Hey, you guys want to know how they met earlier? Yeah. Oh, oh, we could have done it earlier? No, we're going to tell you how they met now. Yeah, they, they want you to... It's weird. They give you the body blow of people dying, and then you feel the impact of it after... They say, oh, look, they were really good friends back yeah. in the day. We, it's baffling design. Well, I, I don't know if I... If they had told you that in the beginning, and then you've gone through everything, you would have been like, ah, Pretty yeah, they were friends. Okay. But it, would they tell you that... They, they tell you the story of how they met immediately after um, he's killed. The uh, climax. Tetsuo is killed at the climax, yeah. Um, it, it's more of a, holy shit, this is why... They were fight. There was. They were fighting like brothers. Yeah. I, do you have a brother? I do. I have two brothers. Do you, you have a sister. I have a sister. Okay. And we fought. Okay. Like so, you know, I went at my brother with a crowbar once. Yeah. I'm not happy about it. Actually, I'm a little happy about it because I would have beat that <laughs> fucker up. But but like you get you. I watched the movie. I was like, why is he fighting so much? He's like trying to kill him, but he, they're also they're interchanged with with saving each other. Well, you know, and then but then when you see when, how they met and what they went through, it, it was a little more. Uh, you understood why for me, you know, and I found that a lot in in Asian cinema is where they give you the story, and then they really give you the emotional gut check uh, by showing the entire history. Yeah, which is strange. I mean, it's a strange format. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, it's definitely not in the American narrative that I've seen. All right, so there's one more book that I wanted to hit up before we go on to the main event for this, uh, and that's Frontera, and it's by Lewis Shiner, and it's cyberpunk, but it's almost like a some of the the main characters. There's like a colony on Mars, and the main characters are going to this colony on Mars. So unlike most cyberpunk, take. I think everything that we've read took place on Earth. This uh, large portion of it takes place on Mars. And honestly, uh, it's a corporation war where there's no government. It's like a corporatocracy. I'm not sure the exact word, but it's just government run by corporations. Uh, This one's a pass. It's, uh, It's okay. I mean, it's better than Ready Player One. Uh, but I wouldn't even put it, uh, I didn't enjoy it as much as, uh, something like Snow Crash. And this is really early, um, really early cyberpunk. So with that, let's go on to the main topic, and that's, uh, it's, it's Neuromancer, but it's also, um... Gibson. G- just Gibson. William and, Gibson. William Gibson in general. Yeah. Okay. So, Neuromancer, Miguel, I'm super curious about how you feel about this because I know you're, you have some experience with science fiction, mainly movies, haven't read a whole lot of books, and... Haven't read a whole lot of sci-fi books. So, sorry, 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 yeah. Sci-fi <laughs> books. You've read up plenty of horror, plenty of nonfiction. But yeah, this is the cyberpunk, this is the quintessential cyberpunk book Written by William Gibson, it's about a guy named Case. He's a hacker slash computer cowboy, <laughs> and 
he uh you know he he's a, a drug addict he uh but he gets roped up into a conspiracy and yeah. what do you feel I enjoyed it I enjoyed it more than I did um the stars my destination right wow yeah whoa the whoa. stars my destination was number if we're talking about just the novels that we read it was number three. Number one was obviously Android. Do Androids sleep? And so this is the second. I slide it right in there. That's how I feel about it. I just threw down a gauntlet. What was that? Uh, yeah. Honestly, I'm gonna have to disagree. But I, I think is it respectfully or res- disrespectfully? Okay, okay. Um, had, had you been An- Andrew here, I would have respectfully disagreed. But <laughs> no. Okay. So. I think that this is a masterpiece. I think is a piece of its time. I'm not sure how forward thinking it is. I mean, sure it is, but um, you know, he he coined the term cyberspace. The thing to think about this, keep in mind while you know while we're talking about this, is he William Gibson wrote this on a typewriter. That is fucking insane to think about that he wrote this this book. That's like. So about the internet and moving information and mm-hmm. c- cybernetic implants, all these things. You know, he wrote that. He didn't have a computer. Yeah. Um, it's kind of nutty to think about. Yeah. There's a lot of things in here that are... I mean, it's, it's funny now. It's a little bit dated. Like, it's definitely oh, hokey. Like, oh, I got two megabytes of RAM <laughs> on me and this guy stole it from me. You know, it's just... It's goofy. It's stupid. It's silly. Now, how much of that is our own modern thinking versus just thirty years ago? I don't know, but uh, I, don't know. I, I think it was. You know, the the thing is, uh, I feel like our modern concept would be more, more closely aligned to the Matrix. Matrix really, definitely stole pretty liberal. <laughs> they stole liberally from this book. Yeah. The so uh, just. That he calls the internet, um, which wasn't really a thing at the time, he labels it the matrix, yeah. and it's uh, you know information that corporations use. So he envisaged the internet and the passage of information, but you know he wasn't saying, "Oh, well, I'm going to be updating the status on things that I did today." That the average user. Is everyone? He thought the average user was corporations, yeah. and that you know every once in a while there is a guy stealing, you know, hijacking two hot megabytes of data yeah. from like the corporate da da da. That's and that's who Case is. He's a drug addict, a drug addict who is also a console cowboy. That's what he calls these people who jack into yeah. essentially. Uh, a matrix of information, which later, you know, the matrix steals, you know, liberally from. They also, uh, the, there's AIs, and at one point, there's a scene where an AI is trying to contact Case. He's walking down the street, and this is back in the time where, you know, he thought payphones were going to be in the future. He didn't think about cell phones. And these payphones, as he walks by, are ringing each, you know, and it's kind of like this little bit horrific scene that's yeah. kind of scary. That's also... Matrix completely ripped that scene off. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I I enjoy this. I see it at. I think you you can't separate it from the eighties. If you put your eighties hat on and you process all of this information as so, if you're talking about historical, like how important it is historically, yeah, I agree with you. Very important. Well, yeah, especially you know in, in day and age and all that. But I'm coming from it as just being how enjoyable it is. And while I agree it's very enjoyable, it just wasn't my favorite of of the stuff that we've read so far. And I agree, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's super important. Uh, There's a lot of things that are ahead of its time. But I feel like Gibson in general, like the burning chrome, um, there's there's like a, a, um, a desire to be radical. You know what I mean? Like, Tubular. Countercultural. Right. From the 80s. I think he... Okay, the other thing is, keep in mind, he's old. Yeah. He's, he was old when he wrote this, and he's trying... He's not really a part of the countercultural movement. Right. My whole question is, is it authentic? You know? I don't... And I, I, I don't know. The, the story, it's... I mean, Burning Chrome was enjoyable. Uh, Neuromancer was enjoyable. Uh, but, but, but the other thing, too, about those things is, like, uh, they're kind of love stories. The kind of end, uh, happy ever after love stories. Whoa, really? I mean, uh, in a weird way. Uh, Neuromancer, at least Neuromancer, ends with him being forever with Molly. Molly, I didn't. I disagree. Okay, so to me, I for I, the the other thing that I like about the way he writes and who he chooses to write about is, uh. Some people will argue that cyberpunk is not very inclusive. I argue that it is because Molly Millions is the bat. She is the protagonist. She's this character that you yes. really latch yeah. onto because she's proactive. She is a fighter. She's a warrior. Yeah. She's she's the one who's actually doing all of the uh, um, fighting and um, case. He's almost like a surveillance character. Yeah. He's almost like the earpiece in Molly saying, hey, there's two guys coming at you yeah. over here. They're, you know, That's how he thought the internet was going to be. He thought, oh, well, he's going to hack into this information database and find out that, oh, well, there's this guy in front of her and, mm-hmm. and let the warrior know. And she's this warrior. She's basically like Wolverine. Like yeah. literally. X-23. She's, yeah. she's like X-23. I'm not sure when Wolverine was invented. Oh, six, seven, pre, Wolverine's pre. Okay, well, then he, you know, he definitely took a lot of inspiration on Wolverine because she has, you know, uh, na- like nails where she can murder people. Yeah. I, I would have much rather the story been about her. I agree. I, I agree. I, I loved her and everything that she did in this movie. So, Fuck. so, um, did you read Johnny Mnemonic? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so. This is why I don't say that this is a love story and that this ends happily ever after. Johnny Mnemonic is referenced in um, Neuromancer. Yeah. And she, she names like, oh, you know, I, I love this guy. His name was Johnny. He was a lot like you. And um, the Zaibatsus came and fucking killed him. And the, it's she's the main character in Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny Mnemonic's the main character. And he's a guy with, you know two gigs of hot ram that he's stolen and it's it's you know, this very gritty oh. noir tale of him uh 
very similar. It takes place in the same world, you know, she's in it. Um, and then, again, like he, uh, Johnny Mnemonic's reference, in Neuromance, you find out what happens to him. She was his lover, and they, you know, they live off happily ever after at the end of that short story. And then in Neuromancer, he's it, fucking yeah. dead because that's these characters. At the end of Neuromancer, um, Case gets his liver back. Yeah. He gets... He gets cured. Well, he doesn't get it. Well, he, he he pays for it. Yeah. Just so he can continue doing drugs. So he so is it a happy ever after ending? I, I honestly. Well, he I, gets what he gets. He gets what he wants. It's happy for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I just don't. And, Self-destructive as I, I I read um, afterwards. I I read um, um, the the sequel to it, which is uh, uh, Count Zero, which I don't recommend. I don't think it's nearly as good. It's kind of got, like, three consecutive stories going on. It's much more of a complex uh, narrative. It has three threads that tie in together yeah. at the end. Um, whereas Neuromancer is a very simple, like, Chandler-esque plot. Like, yeah. noir plot, but with cybernetic stuff. Um, I don't agree that it's simple, but it's, it's I, pretty complicated. I think it's fairly simple because it doesn't... So, so Neuromancer is not about the plot. It is about character. It's about uh, texture and, and style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gibson seemingly obsesses over his sentences and over structure. He wants to convey a feeling over like what technically happens. So, like, what happens in Neuromancer? Well, it's about an AI, a go- like a god-level AI. Yeah. Well, how... How well is that delivered? Well, certainly not nearly as well as it's delivered in a story like Dan Simmons's Hyperion, which is like very fleshed out and explained. This, which Dan Simmons's Hyperion has a, a PI that investigation story that is cyberpunk. Uh-huh. It's scraped right out of Gibson, but he explains everything. This is more of like. I'm just trying to get across this like feeling of of realism. That's yeah. what I feel like. I don't I don't feel like he's trying to like set this like interesting plot and I know like a lot of academics will argue like, "Oh, you know, he, uh cyberpunk is a literary movement. Cyberpunk is this literature." And I disagree. Cyberpunk is rooted in science fiction. It's not rooted in like William S. Burroughs. I, I read all these essays, and they're like, oh, you know, it's, re- it's referenced in William S. Burroughs. It's like, no, dude, these motherfuckers, they were reading, they were reading what we just went over, the yeah. proto stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you? I think because <clears throat> Neuromancer initially is the first book I read for this podcast, mm-hmm. and it was it was hard to get into the uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because what you're just saying, it wasn't... It's not about narrative. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't sincerely plot. It was really characters. There was a love story going on, but yeah, I see what you said. There's a little bit of hopelessness going on as well. Um, I liked it by the end of it, but it was really hard for me to get into. Um, you, didn't, you don't dig that... that uh, just the, the way he... The words that he chooses to 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 write, the the similes and the metaphors, it in a technical, not like uh, 
overall right. sense. Like the just in in his paragraphs, I just think that he he does a really good job of world building and putting you in this like very gritty place um, of this like eighties dystopian yeah, version of the future, totally. and. He's vague enough when he talks about the Matrix that on this second read, I was a little bit more able to put myself in and into the the quote unquote Matrix, which is just like accumulated data, yeah. like d- basically like visualize. It's almost like Tron. Yeah, that's how I felt the second time that I read it. Was like, or I listened to it the second time. Mm-hmm. Is about a bit more like Tron in that, uh, like almost pixelated data or this archaic version of how uh, corporations would organize their data and how they would retrieve it with like cowboys or you know console cowboys or whoever Um, this was definitely the most fleshed out world to me like he definitely took some time I was fully immersed in, in this world so I I appreciated that in what he built. I like the world building. Um, there were a lot of things that were funny and archaic about uh, William Gibson's, you know, the the Jamaicans in the book. I mean, that was a little bit cringeworthy. Yeah, Rastafarians. Rastafarians. Oh my god. Oh god, that was. I'm so glad I didn't bring it up because I feel like I. Thank you very much. It was cringeworthy in yeah. a lot of ways. He, okay, so he nails the female character, not so much the African-Americans, or the Jamaicans, or like the Rastafari. Yeah, it was, it was goofy. so it was bad. Any... I, I don't think he'd ever met a Jamaican or a Rastafarian. They, it was very bad. It was like, oh, I heard Bob Marley on 93.5 AM <laughs> once. Uh, yeah. So there is a to me it's like there's an obvious attempt to be radical. There's an obvious attempt to be anti-authoritarian or counterculture, and the Rastafarians kind of represented that in a lot of ways. But uh, it was so hackneyed. It was so it's it's so lazy to me that yeah. if you're trying to be radical, you bring in another culture. It's like right that culture is not radical. They are what they are. It's not radical because you bring them in. Right. It was like it was presenting them as the other within this world. When they're not really even the, they, you know what I mean? It's right. just like they they only existed to serve as a counterpoint to um, the society that our console cowboy lived in. Yeah, it's like we're normal. Check those guys out. Those yeah. are those guys are crazy. Right. A, a big thing I want to talk about uh, that we said when we defined cyberpunk, but we didn't really get into it. Um, so much on the other stories is that uh, a fear of corporations which the the Armitage the, this kind of dynasty of human beings have lived on for a, like a lot longer than they're supposed to in Neuromancer and then you know they're a, they own this corporation and they're kind of the bad guy in this. Like, yeah. what do you, like, I feel like, again, like in the 80s, there was just this sense of like, well, what happens when, kind of like what's going on right now, when like a corporation becomes like a, like Disney. Mm. And now they fucking own everything. They, they just bought Fox. Maybe we'll start seeing a little bit more of this pop up in our 
science fiction in the future in like this next year. Yeah, it's yeah. The, w- with that Disney Fox thing, it's it's kind of scary because <laughs> going back to the Simpsons, it's like saying. Um, I, for one, welcome our, our alien overlords or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, we, we, oh, we're like, oh, yeah, cool, X-Men and Avengers are going to come together, you know? But it's like, you don't you don't see all the things that are not going to come to the table because Disney's like, oh, that's not a good look for us. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's kind of selfish to be like, yeah, I really want that fucking Avengers and X-Men movie, man. But you're not going to get so much of the stuff that that could have been just as good or or even better. So yeah, that's kind of uh, the the corporation aspect of it. You you definitely see it rising like starting right now. Yeah. And you know, in the 80s when the, uh, Cyberpunk was going, you had you know, you had Reagan, you had trickle down economics, you yeah. had you had the yuppies, you had Wall Street, you know, you had all that kind of bubbling up and it kind of it's kind of happening right now again. Well, we have uh, monopolies that are coming. Yeah. Net neutrality, Net neutrality. <laughs> which is another big issue, which fits in the the whole thing. But you know, like the snow crash avatar thing, where you know the lower classes went to the public sectors, and they were all grayed out avatars or lower quality avatars. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of fits in the net neutrality thing. But um, yeah, there, there. I think cyberpunk has this very big, healthy fear of. Uh, Corporations, which uh, is a parallel to the Ronald Reagan administration and Donald Trump. I remember being so depressed about Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is definitely like a very big um, outlier when it comes to American politics. But my dad pointed out, I was like, hey man, I was, I remember when Reagan got elected. And it fucking sucked. It felt like the world was ending. Like it does now for yeah. us. Um, where, I mean, history repeats itself, it rhymes with itself. Uh, I think we're in one of those eras where cyberpunk is definitely going to... Um, make it, a comeback. Make right? a comeback. Here, here's the thing, in a different narrative, though. Yeah. You know, CD Project Red, uh, their, their 2077. game... 2077. Right, right, their game cyberpunk. That might be the, the, the narrative that the popular culture explores. I have no idea, I've never seen... You know, no one's played this game yet, but that might be the narrative form in which public culture explores these uh, these avenues of fear of the corporation or fear of these monopolies or fear that, you know, corporations have too much control of us. Um, so, like, Ready Player One is, is basically our era's neuromancer? Is that what you're saying? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm so drunk, I punch you in the face right now, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Probably wrap things up there on not the most... Uh, uh, high note, but uh, you know, little, little, little dystopian, little depressing. But next month, sword and sorcery, sword and sorcery. So we're gonna we're gonna hit up some uh, Robert E. Howard. I love Robert E. Howard. This is your wheelhouse. He's my well. I mean, Cyberpunk's my wheel, dude. You have a lot of wheelhouses. Yeah, I got a lot of wheelhouses. But you haven't read... Have you written a cyberpunk story? Because I've read your sword and sorcery story. Have you read... The first story that I got published is kind of cyberpunk. Okay, no, I don't think think I've read it. What's it called? Uh, Between Screens. Where can I find that? Writers of the Future. Uh, Amazon. Or, actually, you can just listen to it for free on Starship Sofa. But, yeah. uh, So, yeah. Um... 
Robert Robert E. Howard. Uh, we're gonna specifically cover uh, some Conan, but his first sword sorcery is a uh, Kull story. This is a precursor to Conan. Uh, we're gonna hit up uh, the Shadow Kingdom. I believe it's called the Shadow Kingdom, and that's the uh, the first. Sword and Sorcery that most scholars believe was ever written. It's really cool. I've read it. I love it. Okay. And then we're going to um, check out some C.L. Moore, who's a really badass uh, contemporary of Robert E. Howard right after he died, right after he KYS'd. She, she was writing some, uh, some really cool Sword and Sorcery stuff for uh, the same magazine, Weird Tales. Really great stuff. And then we might end... Uh, I'll have to figure out if we're going to do a novel. We might do um, Rat Queens, though there's some controversy. Do not purchase that until after you've listened to us talk about it. Uh, but yeah, that's where we're going to go. Yeah, we might drink some mead for this episode. Great nice. idea. Yeah, so we'll, go to your local store, get some mead. And we'll, we'll try to... Uh, get you a list of what we're going to be drinking so that you can drink along with us. Yeah, what we're reading. And yeah, and what we're reading. And then also get you kind of a, a little mixtape of some music that we think would would, would uh, kind of go along with the, the what we're going to be reading. So. And it's all going to be Nobu Umatsu Final Fantasy music. <laughs> yeah. so. And then I kill myself before we're the We're actually, it's just going to be Andrew and I on the next podcast, and we're just going to talk about Final Fantasy. <laughs> Dear listener, you can find us on Facebook at Books and Beer. You can search Books and Beer, you'll find us. If you go on Twitter, it's Books and Beer, huh? That's Books and Beer, H U H. All right? It's more like Thank Books and so Beer, much. huh? Yeah, Books like and that. Beer, huh? <laughs>